Chapter Twenty Two, Part One of the Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Memoirs of Jacques Casanova, Volume Two, Paris and Prison by Giacomo Casanova, translated by Arthur Machen. Episode Nine, Chapter Twenty Two, Part One. Chapter Twenty Two, Monsieur de Bernis goes away, leaving me the use of his casino, his good advice, how I follow it, peril of M. M. and myself, Mister Murray, the English ambassador, sale of the casino, and end of our meetings, serious illness of M. M. Zorsi and Condumar, Tonin. Though the infidelities of C. C. made me look at her with other eyes than before, and I had now no intention of making her the companion of my life, I could not help feeling that it had rested with me to stop her on the brink of the stream, and I therefore considered it my duty always to be her friend. If I had been more logical, the resolution I took with respect to her would doubtless have been of another kind. I should have said to myself, after seducing her, I myself have set the example of infidelity. I have bidden her to follow blindly the advice of her friend, although I knew that the advice and the example of M. M. would end in her ruin. I had insulted, in the most grievous manner, the delicacy of my mistress, and that before her very eyes. And after all this, how could I ask a weak woman to do what a man, priding himself on his strength, would shrink from attempting? I should have stood self-condemned, and have felt that it was my duty to remain the same to her, but flattering myself that I was overcoming mere prejudices, I was in fact that most degraded of slaves, he who uses his strength to crush the weak. The day after Shrove Tuesday, going to the casino of Moran, I found there a letter from M. M., who gave me two pieces of bad news, that C., C. had lost her mother, and that the poor girl was in despair, and that the lay sister, whose rheum was cured, had returned to her place. Thus C. C. was deprived of her friend at a time when she would have given her consolation of which she stood in great need. C. C., it seemed, had gone to share the rooms of her aunt, who, being very fond of her, had obtained permission from the superior. This circumstance would prevent the ambassador taking any more suppers with her, and I should have been delighted if chance had put this obstacle in his path a few days sooner. All these misfortunes seemed of small account compared with what I was afraid of, for C. C. might have to pay the price for her pleasures, and I so far regarded myself as the origin of her unhappiness as to feel bound never to abandon her and this might have involved me in terrible complications. M. M. asked me to sup with her and her lover on the following Monday. I went and found them both sad, he for the loss of his new mistress, and she because she no longer had a friend to make the seclusion of the convent pleasant. About midnight Monsieur de Bemis left us, saying in a melancholy manner, 
that he feared he should be obliged to pass several months in Vienna on important diplomatic business. Before parting, we agreed to sup together every Friday. When we were alone, M. M. told me that the ambassador would be obliged to me if, in the future, I would come to the casino two hours later. I understood that the good-natured and witty profligate had a very natural prejudice against indulging his amorous feelings except when he was certain of being alone. Monsieur de Bemy came to all our suppers, till he had left for Vienna, and always went away at midnight. He no longer made use of his hiding-place, partly because we had now only lay in the recess, and partly because, having had time to make love before my arrival, his desires were appeased. M. M. always found me amorous. My love, indeed, was even hotter than it had been, since only seeing her once a week, and remaining faithful to her, I always had an abundant harvest to gather in. C. C.'s letters, which she brought to me, softened me to tears, for she said that, after the loss of her mother, she could not count upon the friendship of any of her relations. She called me her sole friend, her only protector, and, in speaking of her grief, in not being able to see me any more whilst she remained in the convent, she begged me to remain faithful to her dear friend. On Good Friday, when I got to the casino, I found the lovers overwhelmed with grief. Supper was served, but the ambassador, downcast and absent, neither ate nor spoke, and M. M. was like a statue that moves at intervals by some mechanism. Good sense and ordinary politeness prevented me from asking any questions, but on M. M. leaving us together, Monsieur de Bemy told me that she was distressed, and with reason, since he was obliged to set out for Vienna fifteen days after Easter. I may tell you confidentially, he added, that I believe I shall scarcely be able to return, but she must not be told, as she would be in despair. M. M. came back in a few minutes, but it was easy to see that she had been weeping. After some commonplace conversation, Monsieur de Bernis, seeing M. M., still low-spirited, said, Do not grieve thus, sweetheart. Go I must, but my return is a matter of equal certainty when I have finished the important business which summons me to Vienna. You will still have the casino, but, dearest, both friendship and prudence make me advise you not to come here in my absence, for after I have left Vienna I cannot depend upon the faith of the gondoliers in my service, and I suspect that our friend here cannot flatter himself on his ability to get reliable ones. I may also tell you that I have strong reasons for suspecting that our intercourse is known to the state inquisitors, who conceal their knowledge for political reasons but I fancy the secret would soon come to light when I am no longer here, and when the nun who connives at your departure from the convent knows that it is no longer for me that you leave it. The only people whom I would trust are the housekeeper and his wife. I shall order them, before I go, to look upon our friend here as myself, and you can make your arrangements with them. I trust all will go well to my return, if you will only behave discreetly." I will write to you, under the cover of the housekeeper. His wife will give you my letters as before, and in the same way you must reply. 
I must needs go, dearest one, but my heart is with you, and I leave you, till my return, in the hands of a friend, whom I rejoice to have known. He loves you, he has a heart and a knowledge of the world, and he will not let you make any mistakes. M. M. was so affected by what the ambassador had said, that she entreated us to let her go, as she wished to be alone and to lie down. As she went, we agreed to sup together on the following Thursday. As soon as we were alone, the ambassador impressed me with the absolute necessity of concealing from her that he was going to return no more. I am going, said he, to work in concert with the Austrian cabinet on a treaty which will be the talk of Europe. I entreat you to write to me unreservedly and as a friend, and if you love our common mistress, have a care for her honour, and above all have the strength of mind to resist all projects which are certain to involve you in misfortune, and which will be equally fatal to both. You know what happened to Madame de Riva, a nun at the convent of St. She had to disappear, after it became known that she was with child, and Monsieur de Froulay, my predecessor, went mad, and died shortly after. J. J. Rousseau told me that he died of poison, but he is a visionary who sees the black side of everything. For my part, I believe that he died of grief, and not being able to do anything for the unfortunate woman, who afterwards procured a dispensation from her vows from the Pope, and having got married is now living at Padua, without any position in society. Let the prudent and loyal friend master the lover. Go and see M. M., sometimes in the parlour of the convent, but not here, or the boatman will betray you. The knowledge which we both have, that the girls are in a satisfactory condition, is a great alleviation of my, to my distress. But you must confess that you have been very imprudent. You have risked a terrible misfortune. Consider the position you would have been in, for I am sure you would not have abandoned her. She had an idea that the danger might be overcome by the means of drugs, but I convinced her that she was mistaken. In God's name, be discreet in the future, and write to me fully, for I shall always be interested in her fate, both from duty and sentiment. We returned together to Venice, where we separated, and I passed the rest of the night in great distress. In the morning I wrote to the fair afflicted, and whilst endeavouring to console her to the best of my ability, I tried to impress on her the need I tried to impress on her the necessity for prudence, and the avoidance of such escapades as might eventually ruin us. Next day I received her reply, every word of which was spelt despair. Nature had given her a disposition which had become so intensified by indulgence that the cloister was unbearable to her, and I foresaw the hard fights that I should have to undergo. We saw each other the Thursday after Easter, and I told her that I should not come to the casino before midnight. She had had four hours to pass with her lover in tears and regrets, amongst which she had often cursed her cruel fate and the foolish resolution which had made her undertake the veil. We supped together, and although the meal was a rich and delicate one, we did it little honour. When we had finished, the ambassador left, entreating me to remain, which I did, without thinking at all of the pleasures of the party of two. 
for love lighteth not his torch at the hearts of two lovers who are in full grief and sorrow. M. M. had grown thin, and her condition excited my pity, and shut out all other feelings. I held her a long time in my arms, covering her with tender and affectionate kisses, but I showed no intention of consoling her by amusements in which her spirit could not have taken part. She said, before we parted, that I had shown myself a true lover, and she asked me to consider myself from henceforth as her only friend and protector. Next week, when we were together as usual, Monsieur de Bemy called the housekeeper just before supper, and in his presence executed a deed in my behalf, which he made him sign. In this document he transferred to me all the rights over the contents of the casino, and charged him to consider me in all things as his master. We arranged to sup together two days after, to make our farewells, but on my arrival I found by herself, standing up and pale as death, or rather as white as a statue of Carlyle marble. He is gone, she said, and he leaves me to your care, fatal being, whom perchance I shall see no more, whom I thought I loved, but as a friend. Now you are lost to me, I see my mistake. Before I knew him I was not happy, but neither was I unhappy as I am now. I passed the whole night beside her, striving by the most delicate attentions to soften her grief, but without success. Her character, as abandoned to sorrow as to pleasure, was displayed to me during that long and weary night. She told me at what hour I should come to the convent parlor, the next day, and on my arrival I was delighted to find her not quite so sad. She showed me a letter which her lover had written to her from Trevisa, and she then told me that I must come and see her twice a week, warning me that she would be accompanied sometimes by one nun and sometimes by another, for she foresaw that my visits would become the talk of the convent when it became known that I was the individual who used to go to Mass at their church. She therefore told me to give in another name, to prevent C. C.'s aunt from becoming suspicious. Nonetheless, she added, this will not prevent my coming alone when I have any matter of importance to communicate to you. Promise me, sweetheart, to sup and clean at the casino at least once a week, and write to me a note each time by the housekeeper's wife. I made no difficulty in promising her that much. We thus passed a fortnight quietly enough, as she was happy again, and her amorous inclinations had returned in full force. About this time she gave me a piece of news which delighted me, namely that C. C. had no longer anything to fear. Full of amorous wishes, and having to be content with the teasing pleasure of seeing one another through a wretched grating, we racked our brains to find out some way to be alone together to do what we liked, without any risk. I am assured, she said, of the good faith of the gardener's sister. I can go out and come without fear of being seen, for the little door leading to the convent is not overlooked by any window. Indeed, it is thought to be walled up. Nobody can see me crossing the garden to the little stream, which is considered unnavigable. All we want is a one-oared gondola and I cannot believe that with the help of money you will be unable to find a boatman on whom we may rely. 
I understood from these expressions that she suspected me of becoming cold towards her, and this suspicion pierced me to the heart. Listen, said I, I will be the boatman myself. I will come to the quay, pass by the little door, and you shall lead me to your room, where I will pass the whole night with you, and the day, too, if you think you can hide me. That plan, she said, makes me shudder. I tremble at the danger to which you might be exposed. No, I should be too unfortunate if I were to be the cause of your misfortune. But, as you can row, come in the boat. Let me know the time as closely as possible. The trusty woman will be on the watch, and I will not keep you for minutes waiting. I will get into the boat, and we will go to our beloved casino, and then we shall be happy without fearing anything. I will think it over. The way I took to satisfy her was as follows. I bought a small boat, and without telling her, I went one night all by myself round the island to inspect the walls of the convent on the side of the lagoon. With some difficulty I made out a little door, which I judged to be the only one by which she could pass. But to go from there to the casino was no small matter, since one was obliged to fetch a wide course. With one oar I could not do the passage in less than a quarter of an hour, and that with much toil. Nevertheless, feeling sure of success, I told my pretty nun of the plan, and never was news received with so much pleasure. We set our watches together, and fixed our meeting for the Friday following. As the day approached, an hour before sunset, I betook myself to St. Francis de la Vigne, where I kept my boat, and having it set in good order, and dressing myself as a boatman, I got upon the poop, and held a straight course for the little door, which opened the moment I arrived. M. M. came out, wrapped in a cloak, and someone, shutting the door after her, she got on board my frail bark, and in a quarter of an hour we were at the casino. M. M. made haste to go in, but I stayed to belay my boat with a lock and chain, against thieves, who pass the night pleasantly by stealing whatever they can lay their hands on. Though I had rowed easily enough, I was in a bath of perspiration, which, however, by no means hindered my charming mistress from falling on my neck. The pleasure of meeting seemed to challenge her love, and proud of what I had done, I enjoyed her transports. Not dreaming that I should have any occasion for a change of linen, I had brought none with me. But she soon found a cure for this defect, for having undressed me, she dried me lovingly, gave me one of her smocks, and I found myself dressed to admiration. We had been too long deprived of our amorous pleasures to think of taking supper before we had offered a plenteous sacrifice to love. We spent two hours in the sweetest of intoxications, our bliss seeming more acute than at our first meeting. In spite of the fire which consumed me, in spite of the ardor of my mistress, I was sufficiently master of myself to disappoint her at the critical moment, for the picture which our friend had drawn was always before my eyes. M. M., joyous and wanton, having me for the first time in the character of boatman, augmented our delights by her amorous caprices. But it was useless for her to try and add fuel to my flame, since I loved her better than myself. End of chapter 22, part 1